Hi, Green Junkie. I'm your host, Stephanie Moram. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Sarah Miltenberger about climate change and what we can do to make a difference. Sarah has made a name for herself in the sustainability world of science and technology for the past eight years. A Forbes under 30 scholar, one of her biggest passions is utilizing creativity and communication to make sustainability a positive experience for clients. Her clients have included small to large businesses around the world that are looking for help with telling stories that marry science and strategy around life cycle analysis, supply change, and employee education. Other work experience includes working as an environmental scientist and as a lab technician for environmental consulting firms. If you love learning new ways you can reduce your impact on the environment, please subscribe to the Green Junkie podcast on whatever platform you get your podcast. That way you'll never miss another Green Living episode. Hi, Sarah. Hey. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. So let's just dive right into it. I would love for you to tell the audience about yourself, how you got involved into in sustainability and how you became a sustainability business consultant. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely has not been like a straight and narrow journey. It's kind of been all over the place and I kind of fell into consulting by accident. But I, you know, I think many people when we were younger, we saw like the Inconvenient Truth video and I was really compelled by that at a young age. And I started like a couple recycling programs in my school, but I never really thought I was going to have a career in this at all. I actually thought and was told I should be a lawyer my whole life. Everyone was like, you're great at arguing. You should be a lawyer. Um, and, uh, and so that was kind of what I thought my career path was going to be until I went to college and one of like the required classes, uh, it was like a science class and it was a geology class about the oceans and specifically around ocean acidification, issues with oil spills, things like that. And I just completely was shocked by the issues that I was learning about in school or in college specifically that I just had never learned about before that and decided to become a geology major and study you know, rock formations and all these things until I learned I had to take organic chemistry. And I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) I ended up designing my own major around uh, sustainable development and design and environmental policy. I designed my own study abroad. I went to Australia because, you know, sustainability really wasn't a thing like eight years ago, 10 years ago, as you know, like we kind of talked about it, but People kind of just assumed it was like this very expensive experience. Products sucked that were sustainable products. It just wasn't the way it was now. And then I kind of graduated, went into environmental science, but just felt I was cleaning up oil spills and was just miserable. It was awful. I was (laughs) just like, and I just felt like my company wasn't actually saving the world. Like I thought I kind of went into the business with this maybe naive mindset of what I thought the environmental sector would be like. And then I transitioned to like a health and wellness company after that, that was very focused on creating healthier spaces for people and more sustainable spaces. And that was when I started learning about the benefits of positive communication and design and and sort of how do you influence behaviors and habits through passive and active design and spaces and through tools like marketing, uh, newsletters, HR policies, things like that. And that was when I kind of sparked this idea of like, 
we can use this for sustainability. And I built out a sustainability program there, went to grad school, got all like the skills that I needed and ended up trying to apply those skills at Tesla. I worked at Tesla for a little while and then started my own business by accident, just through a company that really needed help with positive communication. So that's long-winded story, but that's kind of how I fell into where I am now, which I've been doing for three years with Restore Media and Strategy. And I love that you said you you thought about being a lawyer. That was what I wanted to do when I was younger. I was like, I'm going to no be a lawyer. <laughs> Everyone's like, you need to be a lawyer. You're really good at arguing. Yeah. And I, I thought I was going to do that. I ended up going in a completely different direction. I went into social work, but Mm. It's just you're telling your story. I'm like, that's what my parents told me to do. Yeah, <laughs> passion. Just, I think people just assumed if you're passionate, you should be a lawyer or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked about positive change. So what exact? Can you explain to the audience like what exactly is climate positive change communication, and why do you feel that it's important? So I think you know, climate anxiety is a very real thing. I think mm-hmm. we've talked about it now. There's a term for it now. There's studies around it now. But back when I was in college writing my senior thesis, it was about oil spills. And I was writing, I was reading all these books about, you know, oil issues and environmental problems, the history of environmental disasters. I took a class on that. And it just sent me to a really dark place. I mean, I was convinced humans were the worst thing to ever be on this planet. Like, you just, I, I always tell people when you start to get into that headspace, you gotta like, there's a problem because when you're ho- feeling like hopeless, there's no way to think creatively. You're pretty mm-hmm. much trapped in that darkness and in that space. And through my experiences, I've learned that truly the way to inspire people to think creatively, to come up with real solutions is through collaboration and positive environments. And I've just been very outspoken about this for a couple of years now that when people feel hopeful about the environment, that's when they're going to come up with some really cool ideas and they're going to just inspire others. And it will be a domino effect of positive change. And so I've always said, you know, let's not, you know, let's talk about positive climate change and not necessarily uh, climate change, uh, just because we all can do something And that's empowering. And that's how we're going to really make a difference on this planet. No, and I agree. Like there's a lot of people that are anxious or they have like the eco guilt because they're not doing everything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, you know, twist, like not twisting, but changing that to like positive, like, and that's kind of what I want to teach people, educate people on is like, you don't have to do everything. You know, if you aren't really involved in the environment, like if bringing your reusable mug is what you can do right now, then do that. Don't think that you have to buy like ethical clothing and make sure you have this kind of straw and this kind of bag and all these things that it's like one step at a time, like make that a habit. So I love that you're talking about the climate positive side versus like, you know, I had, I remember when I first started on this journey, like 11 years ago, like just for myself, 11, 12 years ago, I would feel guilty a lot. Like, oh my God, I took this in plastic. Oh my gosh, I did this. You know what I mean? When Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was doing a lot of stuff for the environment and now I kind of step back and thinking, you know, I can only do what I can do and that's do the best that you can. Right. Uh, So I love how you 
kind of spin like climate positive change communication versus like make people feeling guilty and shameful because they're not doing everything that maybe you do, right? When it comes to to sustainability. So I know we talk about like products and packaging. So do you work with companies when it comes to like products and packaging for it to be like climate positive versus yeah. like like so what is what do you mean by that? The old gods have fallen, and the world descends into turmoil. But amidst nations rallying their armies... A nefarious cult, hell-bent on chaos... And the new gods, attempting to seize control of it all... A spark of hope arises. We are the agents of repair, and we vow to contest these evils. To make the world a better place, no matter what stands in our way. Listen to Venture Forth, a D&D podcast across all podcasting platforms. Yeah, so even just to kind of go back on that thought about fear and, Mm -hmm. you know, marketing, I mean, we are bombarded with messages all the time. And it's funny, back when uh, we were all on, was it Community? Oh my God, why can't I not remember the app? Clubhouse. (laughs) I was like addicted to Clubhouse for a while. I remember having rooms where I would pull the room, like who believes in positive climate change, who believes in fear-based change. You would be shocked at how many sustainability professionals, I would say about 50% from my polling, which could have biased, it could be biased, um, but 50% of sustainability professionals truly still think that fear-based marketing and, and, and action that is pushed by fear is how we're going to, you know, do things in the future. And I just, I I just vehemently disagree with that because it just doesn't feel good. (laughs) It doesn't feel good to be scared. It doesn't feel good to be guilty. I was like making toast this morning and I felt guilty about the bread, like the bread packaging. I'm like, I got to make sure I buy bakery bread next time because I hate this plastic and it makes me sick to my stomach. But that, you know, but companies know that like companies are starting to get smart because they're hearing from consumers. Like it sucks to open up a product that has all this plastic and all this packaging. And they're like, okay, how do we make a change here? Because then you have negative feelings towards a product and they don't want that. And so that's why we have an issue with greenwashing, right? Is because consumers are like, oh my gosh, this is made with, you know, you know, this is a carbon neutral product or this is, there's a donation every time someone buys this. And so we're consuming, but we're looking at the marketing around every product that we're touching. And if it has any kind of green marketing, we feel good about it or we feel better about it. And that's something that companies capitalize on. And so what I do is I guide companies through that process of what language they can use, what can they not use, as well as helping them like build systems into their business to push for more transparency to collect data so that they can actually, when they are reporting information on a product, that it's correct and they have the receipts, as well as for any of like the new innovative materials like uh, reishi leather, cactus leather, Pinatex, which is pineapple leather, that they're accurately, you know, they're using it in the correct method as well as accurately communicating what that is, how to dispose of it, how to reuse products things like that. Yeah. And it's when it comes to like, we could talk about greenwashing forever, but I think you're right when it's like that fear-based 
versus the positive. Like, I think there's a way to show people like, Hey, if we continue on this path, this can happen, but not like in necessarily like we're doomed and we're all going to (laughs) die. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Educating people, like there's a lot of plastic in the ocean. Like these are consequences of plastic. And I think there's a way to do it where you're not making people afraid to touch plastic. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I don't love plastic. I'm, I'm vocal. I don't love plastic, but it's really hard sometimes to not use plastic. Like I take my hat off to people that don't use any plastic. Like I have kids, car seat is made of steel and plastic. So mm. right there, I'm using plastic, but you know, you're talking about bread. We get our bread from a local bakery. Mm-hmm. We used to be able to get the bread, not packaged and put it in our own bag. So I'd go to the, mm-hmm. go to the store, but now they don't do that anymore. So I can either buy like crappy bread in plastic, or I could buy local bread made fresh every single day. And yes, it comes in plastic but I've learned how to dispose of that plastic bag properly. I like, you know what I mean? Like, and mm-hmm. I can sit and be guilty every time I buy the bread, but I'm like, what can I do? There's like, I could make my own bread, but the problem with making my own bread is I don't have a bread maker. Like, it's just like, yes, I could yeah. do all those things, but it's also a time. Yeah. Do I have the and- time to make bread every day? My <laughs> kids eat bread, you oh know? My so, gosh, so funny. Yeah. But we it's could sit true. and feel guilty about it or we could say, okay, it is what it is for the bread. But in other areas, how about I do better? How about where I can reduce as much plastic as possible? I do that versus sitting and feeling guilty about like that bread. I'm saying bread because you mentioned bread. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's just, I think I I just totally agree with you. Like making people afraid to live more sustainably or green or eco-friendly. Like, I don't think it works. I I really don't because I did it at the beginning and it didn't work for anybody. (laughs) No one liked me. (laughs) Well, I do too. You know how, I don't know if back in, must've been 20, 2010, I knew it was right, right when I was in high school, when you would turn on the news, they would have right. like a little screen in the corner, like a, a pick screen or pick, pick on pick a pips. I don't remember what it's called, but it was like a little tiny live feed of all the oil going into the ocean. And they'd have like, they'd be talking about whatever news, like it could be, they could be talking about something completely different, but they would have that little screen of the live feed because it was such a big deal at the time. And I just remember like just this feeling of absolute dread, like, just like, like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, like, it's very overwhelming that feeling. And what you immediately start thinking about is what you're not going to have, what you're going to have to sacrifice what, you know, how you're not thinking about like, oh, let me try to use this reusable bag this one time. You're just thinking about, I can't do anything. I am so small. I am, you know, the system is bigger than me. We're doomed. Like that, that paralysis Mm -hmm. is just not helpful for anybody. Whereas when you find yourself at a farmer's market and you engage in a conversation with right. a farmer or a baker or whoever, and you just get excited about supporting them, like, oh, and I brought my reasonable bag. And it's like this exciting thing of you learning something new and developing positive habits. That's like a game changer right there. And that's how I think we really need to be like, it's like all sustainability people, and we all need to get on the same page. It's like, this is how we're <laughs> moving forward with the marketing of sustainability. And and um, I don't know. That's how I feel I, about it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was a couple of weeks ago. I don't remember what it was. On Instagram, I posted something about like, you know, don't feel guilty if you forgot your reusable mug today or your, you know, reusable this or that. Like, just do, just kind of do better next time. That was kind of my message. Like, 
you know, just remember all the times that you did remember it. And today you didn't, you wanted a coffee, just move on. Don't feel shameful. And someone sent me a message. I talked about it in one of my episodes called eco guilt, just drop it. Um, number 27, if anyone liked to listen to it, um, I talk about it in that episode, how this woman was just basically ripped me a new one because she thought that people should feel guilty, that people should mm. feel guilty because they're not doing better because our planet is like falling apart. And I'm just like, I totally do not agree with that. I don't think shaming people or making them feel guilty because they're not doing like we just mentioned before, not doing all the things like I don't think like that doesn't to me doesn't move the needle forward. Like I would rather somebody nine times out of 10 bring the reasonable mug. You know what I mean? Or like, let's say, let's use a number. Like I'd rather 10,000 people remember their mug like eight times out of 10 than one person doing it perfectly or 10 people doing it perfectly. You know what I mean? Like you want mm -hmm. a large population doing stuff imperfectly versus like a handful of people not like doing it perfectly. You know, and that was kind of my message. So when I got that, that message, I was just like, I just don't agree. And we're not going to agree. And she just like kept going on and on. And oh I was like, gosh. I don't agree. She was also a lawyer. <laughs> oh my gosh. Full circle. Full circle. I just, I totally agree with everything you're saying. Just, you know, keep it positive. Like, do you think, you know, people have kids, do you think, you know, shaming them every time they do something or making them feel guilty all the time is going to get them to do something that you want them to do? No, <laughs> no, I have two kids. Like if I'm going to make them feel guilty all the time, like, <laughs> or make them feel shameful or whatever it is, they're not going to do what I want them to do. Like my daughter really? loves thrifting. And mm -hmm. for the longest time, I kind of like was forcing on her like, no, we're going thrift shopping. Like we're not, we're not shopping at like big box stores and getting like unethical, like fast fashion. And like, I stepped back a little bit and I just was talking about it. And I just kind of was like, we should try going to the thrift store. And then eventually her cousin wanted to go. And now it's become a thing that she's like, oh, can we go thrift shopping today? I'd really like to get a new shirt. You know what I mean? So I think that just shows like I backed off. I didn't, you know, I didn't put it in her face. I didn't make her feel guilty about it all the time. It was just more, I let her come to me, if that makes sense. And look, now she loves thrifting and she's 11. So yeah. if I would have had it in her face all the time, she would have been a teenager giving me the middle finger saying, I'm buying all the fast fashion and I would die a little bit inside, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think at the end of the day, like maybe something that we struggle with is like, we're human. Right. <laughs> like as much as we try to be superheroes and we're like, we're solving climate change together, like we're human. And whenever we're trying to communicate with anybody, it's just a reminder that we're all dealing with a ton of stress every day. Like I'm worried about, am I handling this friend thing? You know, I have like a friend drama. Am I handling that correctly? Or I've got family stuff that we got to deal with and this and that and the other thing. Our brains are operating at like an insane capacity, right? And to kind of add this additional stress of like, you're not doing this right. You're a bad person, for not do, bringing your reusable cup, you're going to immediately alienate anyone that you're trying to talk to mm -hmm. by pushing that narrative. Whereas it's like, look, we're even like we're doing our best. We, we truly are. And, and I, when I was at the 1% um, global, 1% uh, for the planet global summit, one of the activities that we did that I actually came away with a little bit disappointed in the, in the group 
was it was a communicate it was all about talking about climate communications and i think we all have a family member or someone that we know who we just like cannot discuss politics with we can't discuss climate <laughs> with like we just can't talk to them because it just gets to be like a very volatile situation and for most of us it's easier for us to just shut up and not say anything because we just don't want to the emotional toll is too much but So one of the activities was, you know, put yourself in the shoes of, and it was actually someone in the the researcher was from Calgary. And so they were like, put yourself in the shoes of someone in the oil and gas industry from Alberta, who's 55 year old male. What do you care about? What do you feel? What do you think? What do you say? What do you do? And it's called empathy mapping. And so people were, and she was like kind of having people shout out different things. And what people were shouting out were actually very stereotypical negative things about this type of person. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this person doesn't think that their truck is more important than anything else. They don't think like, you know, they're, you know what they're, they're thinking that they're doing their best. Like we all do. We all think that. Um, probably thinking like, I need to put food on the table for my kids. Yeah. They want stability, security. They have bills to pay. They have college to pay. Like whatever it is, like they have their own problems and their own things. So for you to immediately question their career choices when that may be the only job they can get is to immediately think, say to them, you're a bad person for working in this field, for thinking these things when they think that they're a good dad, they're a good, you know, brother, sibling, whatever, like, you know, and I think we just have to remember whenever we're communicating with anybody about climate, we're all just humans (laughs) and we're just trying to get by. And we've got a million things on our plate and being kind and compassionate and empathetic to everyone's situation is just super, super important. No, I like a hundred percent agree just because like you said, like we all have stuff going on in our life, right? And for me, sustainability takes a big part of my life because it's my passion. It's how I live my life every day. I'm the person that never forgets their mug or water bottle because it's just, it's a habit. And it's like forgetting my keys, you know, for my car. But I think not everyone's there, right? Like Mm -hmm. people say to me like, oh, you're so dark green. Like you're black almost, you know, the like. (sighs) You know, like, but then I have to remember there's people that are mint green out there. There's people that are lime green out there that are just getting started. And, you know, you just said like alienating them. And, and also, you know, yeah, this person works in Alberta and it's like, you know, in Cal in Alberta is like the biggest oil um, sands are out there. And, you know, there's just so much talk about that in Canada specifically. And I think we have to, like you said, you have to remember like that's still a human and that person's doing the best they can. So if we're going to just keep not being gentle on them, I, I, again, I don't think we get, we don't push the needle forward like at right. all. I think, I think we're just hate, making people hate us even more like, oh, there comes the sustainability person again. They're going to yeah. get mad at us because we have a plastic straw. And, and I hate that. I really hate it. And because I was that person when I first mm-hmm. started, I'm like, did you know you can recycle that? Like that didn't get me anywhere, <laughs> but now it's. People see how I live my life. They see how you live your life. And I get messages like, oh my gosh, I stopped using plastic straws. I ended up buying a silicone one or I ended up buying a, a stainless steel one. And I just, most of the time I remember to bring it with me or, Hey, when I buy X, Y, Z, I, I don't take the top, you know, I don't need a top for my, you know, they get like a smoothie or something like I just, I have my own straw and I say no top you know, but they still take the disposable cup, but they don't take the top because they've seen me do it. You know what I mean? Um, so I think it's like doing those types of things and being positive, like 
full circle back to what you said is being positive and people watching us live our lives instead of like shoving it down their throats. And that's why like, I love social media because I, I act silly. Yes. It's everything I say, I believe, you know, like, don't forget you're this, don't forget that. But I just think we'll get further with sustainability and more people will slowly shift their thinking if we're gentle with them and not push like, oh, you have to be perfect. Right. Yeah. Oh my, I love your reels for that reason, because I just think they're so human and, and you're hundred percent right. It's just, it's, it's showing people what also is possible, right? Like through us doing it and sharing it, it's like, oh, okay. Like that's accessible to me. Like I can remember to ask for no cover at the coffee shop. Like that's very, very doable. And something maybe we don't always remember ourselves, but we're, you know, we're works in progress, but you know, I think the next level and something I work with, uh, with my clients on is like taking all of this stuff we just talked about empathy mapping, understanding how people feel when they interact with a product and then in taking that and communicating it actually in a way that's very transparent and not lying because greenwashing is illegal in the United States now in the state of California specifically. And so now it's a really big deal if a company lies because they want to make a customer feel a certain way. And so I think that's something that we're going to have as sustainability professionals. We now, yes, we have to encourage everyone and inspire everyone, but we also have to hold companies accountable for you know, wanting people, wanting people to feel a certain way. And, um, and we have to kind of be the the police in this, in this situation, which makes it very difficult for you and me, <laughs> for sure. You touched on accessibility and I, I would love to just talk about that for a moment because a lot of people say like, oh, to live green, to live eco-friendly, to live sustainable, whatever word you want to pick, it costs money. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think there are some moments or times that there might be investments that are made, but did you want to touch on that for a minute? Like what, what, what do you, how do I say this? How do you, what do you, how do you define accessibility? Like what, when it comes to sustainability, like for me, you know, going thrift shopping, like, I feel like you don't have to go buy the $30 water bottle. I went to a thrift shop and there's about like 40 of them, <laughs> like all different yeah. water bottles for like $4. And they were like name brand water bottles that people didn't want anymore. And they were in like really good condition. They just needed a really good clean. So I feel like if somebody says like, I just don't have the money for a $30 water bottle. I'm like, well, have you thought about like trying this or this or this? Mm. So it is like accessible a little bit more. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, But I'd love for you to like touch on it from like your point of view. Yeah. So I think of accessibility in two different ways, one from a consumer and one from a business perspective. I'll I'll kind of go into both from a consumer perspective. And just to give people a little bit of background on me, I lived in every major expensive city. (laughs) Like (laughs) I lived in New York city. I've lived in Palo Alto. When I worked at Tesla, I've lived in Australia, very expensive places to live. And I have always had, you know, you know, as many of us struggled with money, struggled with bills, trying to make things work. There was a time when I literally used Poshmark to feed myself. Like I had no money. I didn't have a job for like a small period of time or I was a student because I was in grad school as well. So sometimes I had to sell my clothes to survive. And that is just something that, but I also learned a lot about how to repair my, my stuff, how to take care of my things. Something I just grew up with is not buying a ton of things and really 
maintaining the things that you own, taking good care of them. And so from that perspective, I like, I'm obsessed with secondhand shopping. I love (laughs) getting a, like a, a, even a deal. Right. But it's like, it's already secondhand. It's already going to be less than what I would be paying full price. But I love like that, the marketplace and even trading. Sometimes you'll, you can trade on these websites as well. And there's just a lot of really fun opportunities that you can get creative with some of these secondhand apps and thrifting, right? Like there's always an opportunity to find something or your new favorite sweater that you maybe don't own yet because it's at a thrift shop right now. And I love what you said about just the accessibility of water bottles. You're totally right that people, we have like a stupid number of water bottles where we have donated like really nice water bottles just because we have too many or we get free ones. And so I think bringing the cost down on these products has been something that we've been, that have, has been going on for years now, right? Think about even years ago, how expensive Whole Foods was versus, I know everyone hates Amazon, but I will say the cost of Amazon has gone down or the cost of Whole Foods has gone down because of Amazon buying Whole Foods and making that just more accessible for people. But from the business side, something that actually like aggravates me a lot is I find sustainability services and certifications and all these things that we see on products are grossly inaccessible to small businesses. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about Allbirds, how they have like every single, every type of certification you can have for a product. They probably cl- spend close to a million dollars a year just on sustainability. Like, right. And that's ridiculous. Most companies cannot afford that. Most companies can barely afford a sustainability consultant. Something I've definitely been working on is what, how can I create opportunities in my business for small businesses specifically to be able to have access to a consultant that's within budget um, where they can have their questions answered or feel like they're not alone in making these decisions and like reviewing copy, but because ultimately it's too expensive. And then you end up having all these restaurants, all these small businesses that use styrofoam and this and that, because they can't afford the sustainable material. They can't afford to think about all these things, but we need to make sustainability consultants almost like accountants. Like it's just something you need to have, but also making it something that's affordable as well. Yeah. And I never looked at like accessibility on the business side. Like I never thought about it. So I like how mm-hmm. you explain that. Cause I'm always thinking like the consumer, the consumer, make it accessible for the consumer. And nowadays there's so many, like if you're looking for high-end stuff, there's so many websites that sell like, sell, like high-end stuff secondhand, right? Like if you're looking for the Gucci or you're looking for that, um, the Louis Vuitton, like you can get that secondhand and it drastically brings down the price. If you're like, I like that stuff. I'm just not in position to pay like a million dollars for a purse, mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's so many like Facebook marketplaces, a gold mine. Like that's where I, I get love. so many books and so many things. And you meet some really cool people at the same time. But I like how you explain the business side, because often we don't think about that. We think about it from the consumer's perspective versus the business. And you're right. Like there's some companies out there they want to use all these sustainable materials, but like I can barely keep the lights on (laughs) in our office, you know, like, so we can't have the certifications to back up what we're actually doing. So I often feel like there's more than you don't, there's more to a brand than all the certifications that they have because, you know, a local farmer is not certifying their food organic. Like they can't afford it. Like it's never going to happen. It's literally a huge cost to get certification, but they do, they fall. And sometimes they follow the practices of organic 
well past what they, an organic certification would ask them to do. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. they are more sustainable. So I think as consumers, we also need to sometimes look, it's great to have like all the certifications, but sometimes when it's a small company, like look past the certification, go like, what are they actually doing that's sustainable? A hundred percent. Because like you said, like small businesses can't afford all these like certifications like Allbirds. It's great that they can do Allbirds, you know, it's great that they can have all these certifications and prove all the things that they want to prove with their certifications. You guys can go Google like Allbirds and, you know, I have a pair of their shoes and it's great that they can do it, but not all companies can do that at all. Yeah. And even with like B Corp, I mean, I have clients that are in the verification of process for B Corp and, you know, B Corp actually is one of those scenarios where it's a little bit easier as a small business to some degree to become a B Corp just because the cost is lower. Whereas if you're a very large business bringing in a significant amount of revenue, it's a huge, it's a huge cost because, you know, you're benefiting from their brand. Um, But at the same time, if you look at like, just to give you an example of like my space, when you're looking at a product like, you know, recycled polyester or recycled any like recycled materials um, or glass materials, typically they have very high order quantities. We're talking like a thousand, like 50,000 units, no small business is buying that many units or even this new company, like invisible bags, like you have to buy their poly bags, which are dissolvable by the amount of material. Like, so you're just getting locked. Like it's, you're basically only able to cater to large businesses who can, who have some larger budgets who can make those decisions, but you're completely alienating small to medium-sized businesses that just don't have the order numbers or are not willing to take that big of a risk for that type of material or have no place to store it. And I would love someday to have like a warehouse of all these different types of materials and, and get them to smaller businesses. But as of now, it's just a little bit, a little <laughs> bit tricky. You're going to have a warehouse. <laughs> yeah. You're going to like help all the small businesses. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like there should be like, I mean, the end of the day, the problem is, is plastic is just so cheap mm-hmm. and it's too accessible. And we need to like flip that and make plastic super expensive and make all the other products more accessible. Otherwise, like there's no other way we're going to start like getting and But like that's coming from businesses, like that's businesses making decisions, but they're also being pushed by consumers. So it's all like a very important system for consumers to speak up, engage with social media, especially and say, Hey, look, like I, I don't want, I don't want this stuff to be packaged in plastic anymore. And if you change that packaging and maybe it's going to be a dollar more because the packaging has to change, but I'll still support you. Like, I think brands need to feel a little bit more confident in some of these changes and that the consumers are going to, you know, follow suit and be willing to also pay for the slight increases that sustainable materials require ultimately. And I would love for it to be cool to like reuse your packaging. Like, and what I mean is like companies to like, when they receive boxes, even if it says like Amazon on it, like scratch it off, I don't care. And reuse that to pack, like, you know, obviously depending on the size of the company and all that kind of stuff, like with like, logistics and everything, but even small businesses, you know, to, Hey, I have all these boxes. I'm going to put a sticker on it and say, Hey, this was like 
pre-loved, a pre-loved box. And I, I think if you're a sustainable company and you're a small company, the people buying it will probably be like, oh, that's really cool. That's yeah. cool that they're reusing this box. So I would love to see companies starting to reuse their own personal boxes they might have or kind of shop around like in their community and say, hey, does anybody have um, boxes they don't use anymore? So like, I, I would love for people to do that. I literally give away my boxes on Facebook marketplace. Like I post them and I get usually like 50 responses. I'm like, anyone who's a small business or someone who's moving and needs these. Um, Cause we just get a lot of boxes, but I mean, and that's positive climate change communication, right? It's like something just mm-hmm. different. It's not hurting anybody. It's not hurting a brand. I think we need to get away from this idea of like everything around branding needs to be a specific color, look, vibe, right. like just, we need to be also okay with like imperfect items and not return every single thing. If there's like a tiny little, you know, small problem with it. In fact, I would actually choose to buy something slightly damaged if it was going to be cheaper. <laughs> like I'm like, oh, it's, it's got like a small imperfection and it's going to be 20% off. I will take it and I will mm-hmm. make it work or I will fix it or whatever it is. I think that's really going to be the opportunity in the future. If we can make that cool, just because you know, so much stuff gets returned and thrown out for dumb reasons. Yeah. And we were talking before we started recording that I joined a gym and they give you free boxing gloves because you need boxing gloves at the gym that I go to. It's a boxing, kickboxing gym and they give you brand new gloves. And I said to the owner, I was like, Hey, do you have any like seconds? Yeah. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I said, well, you, you know, they have boxing gloves for people when they come do tryouts to see if they like the gym. So they have like older gloves. I said, do you have any that you don't use anymore that you've opened and you can't sell them and nobody wants them? She's like, absolutely. And they had four colors. They had red, black, baby blue, and like a, a baby pink. All I kept saying is not baby pink, not baby pink. Like <laughs> I want, I wanted like, I love the color red. And when I like pink, I like like the bright, bright pink, not like the baby pink. I'm like, not pink, not pink. She comes up, she goes, here you go. And I'm like, damn it, pink. But I was just like, whatever. I'm just at a gym for like 30 minutes, a bunch of times a week. Does it really matter that they're pink? No. But if I had a choice, I would have picked probably red or black I wouldn't have picked pink, but I was getting them second. And I'm like, does it really matter? Like in the grand schemes of anything, does it matter that I have pink boxing gloves? No, I'm still getting the same workout. So it's, you know, to change that mindset and having, make it okay that stuff is not perfect and that you can fix things. And and I just, I hope that becomes cool one day (laughs) or starts becoming more cool. (laughs) Uh, I'm such a big DIYer. Like I, we rent and I actually found that we have like this weird tiling in our kitchen and it's just like this one area, but it's like fully across. I don't It's just like ugly. I hate it. But I discovered that just like a, I could cover it with a black paper tape and it doesn't do any damage. It was $3 to get black paper tape and it's paper tape. So it's recyclable but it totally changed. Like the whole kitchen, nothing had to be done, which is something small that like, Oh, now I feel like better about my kitchen. And <laughs> I did it in a way that like, wasn't problematic. And um, yeah. So I'm like, maybe you could paint your boxing gloves with like a, <laughs> no, I'm fine. With them being, I'm totally fine with it being pink. It was just funny. I was like, please not pink, please not pink. Oh, here's your pink ones. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> it was just funny. Like it's totally not the end of the world. So I would love for you uh, to let the audience know, like, I know you have a podcast if you just want to touch on that for a minute and where people can find you on social media, if they want to connect with you or like your website and stuff like that. Yeah. So 
Um, the podcast is called Make Climate Cool Again, uh, you know, just as we were talking about making things cool that are sustainable. And season three is actually coming out in the beginning of April. I don't want to put out an exact date in, ca- in case I can't make it work, but go check it out. I think for this season, it will be the first time that I actually have a whole schedule outlined of what who is coming out when so you can kind of plan ahead. The podcast is kind of I started my podcast before I started my business and it truly is something where talking about accessibility, right? Where just to give people perspective and get people in a room with maybe someone they never would have been able to talk to kind of like this too, where uh, they get to learn something new and, and be inspired by what people are doing in business every, every day and how they're making sustainable change. And if you, and sort of to follow that same vein, my business and company restore media and strategy is to be found at makeclimatecool.com. Um, I'm really leaning into that make climate cool vibe. So you can also find us at make climate cool on Instagram. Also, if you just want to connect with me, I am at sustainable underscore Sarah on Instagram. And we just have a fun time over on Instagram and I don't post all the time, but I post when things are important. So go check it out. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. It's been a great conversation. Every time I speak to someone, I'm like, we have to do this again. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Because there's like just so much to like kind of like unpack and like talk about. So thank you, Sarah, for being here. I really, really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. So for more green living inspiration, you can listen to other episodes, including episode 27, Eco Guilt, Just Drop It. We touched on greenwashing. So I have an episode called What is Greenwashing, which is number 24. And then another episode is Six Ways to Detox Your Home, um, which is number 20. So you can stay connected with me on Instagram at Green Junkie Podcast. You can also check out my main Instagram, which is This is Stephanie Moran. Don't forget to subscribe to the Green Junkie Podcast on the platform you're listening to. If you're curious about zero waste living, sustainable fashion, or wondering how to read food, cleaning, and product labels, I've got you covered. For direct access to me, your green living expert, click the link in the show notes where you can ask me questions and get a customized plan on how you can live a greener life. You can hop on a one-on-one call with me or ask me your questions uh, via email if Zoom is not your thing. I can be your personal hashtag green Google and you can pick my brain. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next Tuesday, Green Gen.